This morning, I'd like to dig into a certain phrase. A phrase I'm sure you've all heard before and will hear again. The phrase, don't judge me. It seems we humans have this innate, deathly fear of being judged by other people. And in our deathly fear of it, we can sometimes become irrational and decide to avoid it altogether. Like cornered animals, we might become defensive and do whatever it takes to avoid what we view as a threat. And to avoid it, we may hide, we may hide behind sayings like, don't judge me. Or we may even try to joke around it uh, with something like, opinions are like feet. Everybody's got them, but they usually stink. But saddest of all, some attempt to justify their irrational fear in the all-out ban of judgment with a misinterpretation of a certain saying of Jesus. That saying can be found in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 2, which read, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is frequently misinterpreted here as saying that we should never judge others in any capacity. And people use these verses to basically tell others that you don't have the right to tell me I'm wrong. God is the only one who knows what goes on in my life, and his judgment is enough. But that is not, not at all what Jesus was saying in this passage. That interpretation makes no sense from either a scriptural or secular perspective. That interpretation contradicts other scripture, and it doesn't fit at all with the surrounding context of the verses. If we look at the surrounding context of what Jesus said, as well as other scripture, we find that we are, in fact, commanded to judge, but there are certain types of judgment which are commanded not to make. We also find that we're not supposed to be so deathly afraid and opposed to being judged by other people. Because Matthew 7 is so frequently misinterpreted, we should be able to explain to others why that interpretation is unscriptural and illogical. And we can all benefit from gaining an understanding of the types of judgments uh, we're not supposed to make and how we should feel about how other people feel us. So that's my goal this morning, to answer three questions. One, what is the meaning of Matthew 7 verses 1 through 5? Two, how should we not judge? And three, how should we feel about how other people view us? Starting with the meaning of Matthew 7. Except, not exactly. Because I think before we go into what the meaning of Matthew 7 is, we should establish why its meaning isn't what many people misinterpret it to be. Uh, and I think you'll understand why I'm doing it the way that I am once I get to the, my second question. Right, let's look at the surrounding context of don't judge, so you be not judged, by reading down to verse 6. Starting at verse 1, it reads, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to, you, how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. What I really want to emphasize is that last verse, verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. 
if Jesus was saying in verses 1 and 2 uh, that we can't judge others in any capacity, then how are we supposed to tell who the uh, dogs and swine are? We can't without judging them, without judging their actions. To hold that interpretation means to say that Jesus contradicts himself immediately afterwards. Even if you're a non-believer who wants to use these verses to deflect criticism from a Christian, it is completely illogical to interpret these verses that way. Not only does that interpretation contradict uh, what Jesus says immediately after, it contradicts multiple accounts within the same book, within the gospel account of Matthew. We have multiple accounts of Jesus himself judging others. The entirety of the 23rd chapter of Matthew is Jesus judging the Pharisees and being pretty vocal about it. The Pharisees were a prominent religious group of Jesus' time, and they were known for being self-righteous hypocrites who puffed themselves up and looked down on others. Jesus criticized them for their hypocrisy on many occasions, not just in Matthew 23, but I'd like to notice verses 25 through 26 of Matthew 23, which read, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Saying that the Pharisees only pretend to be good people when on the inside they're blind and awful people is making a judgment. In verse 33, he even calls them serpents. He's not just intrinsically thinking that what they're doing isn't right. He's really laying it down that the Pharisees are bad people and that what they're doing is not good. Now, a Christian who holds the interpretation that we can't judge people might say, well, that's because Jesus is the Son of God. He knows their hearts and everything that goes on in their lives, but we don't, so we don't have the same right. And I would say to that, okay, well, we also have examples of flawed human beings judging each other. One such, exa- one such example we have is when the Apostle Paul criticized the Apostle Peter to his face for hypocrisy. Uh, in Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14, we can read, Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? <clears throat> Peter had taught that there didn't need to be segregation between Jews and other races. Yet whenever the Jewish bigwigs uh, who thought there should be segregation uh, came around, he kowtowed to their beliefs and wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. <clears throat> but whenever his friend Paul heard about, or, yeah, whenever his friend Paul heard about this hypocrisy, he didn't go, Oh, well, that, that's Peter's business. You know, it's not, it's not my place to judge him. He went to his friend and said, Hey, what you're doing isn't good, and you know it. Now, a Christian who holds the interpretation um, might say, No, sorry. Now, a Christian that holds the interpretation that we can't judge people might say in response to this that, Well, the apostles are a unique case. They were inspired by God, and Paul could judge Peter so publicly because they're just on a different level. It was with the inspiration of God 
that Paul knew Peter's conscience on the matter. And for the same reason that we can't judge like Jesus did, we cannot judge as they did. And to that, I would say, the apostles are a unique case. So maybe Paul could judge Peter so publicly uh, only through apostolic authority. Matthew 18, verse 15 says that if a fellow Christian sins against us, that we should take that to them and them alone in private. There's debate over whether or not Paul was stepping outside this restriction. So maybe we can't immediately lay it down as harshly and publicly as Paul or Jesus did. And again, that's, that's something that's up for debate. But what's not up for debate is that we don't need to be apostles or sons of God to judge others and tell them uh, that what they're doing isn't right. Jesus told the Pharisees, who were neither sons of God nor apostles nor prophets, mind you, in John 7, 24, that, quote, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. He explicitly says to judge with righteous judgment. And Matthew 18, 15 says that we should tell another Christian's sin against us in private. It's impossible to do that without judging their actions. So I think I rest my case on that front. But, however, we need to be very careful with how we judge. The command to judge isn't an excuse to be hateful or appoint ourselves as watchdogs and start stooping into other people's business. We should keep in mind that we as humans make awful judges and that we do not fully know what goes on in the minds or lives of other people. So I'd like to spend a little while this afternoon to caution against the type of judgments that we're not supposed to make. I have five different types of judgments, and I'll go through all of them, starting with hypocritical judgments. If you haven't surmised already, God does not like hypocrisy. The account we have in Matthew 23 of Jesus rebuking the Pharisees makes that pretty evident. It's no surprise, then, to read what Jesus said about hypocritical, hypocritical judgment in Matthew 7. Once more, let's read through Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, which read, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is painting a pretty comical picture here. We've got one brother with a speck of something in his eye, you know, maybe sawdust or something like that. And if you've ever got sawdust in your eye, you know that the speck itself is really small, but it's a really big nuisance. So you want to get rid of it as soon as possible. But then we've got another brother with a way bigger problem. He's got a full two by four sticking out of his eyeball. I mean, can you imagine that? And then that brother with zero acknowledgement of the humongous plank sticking out of his head, walks over to the brother with just a speck and says, oh, that speck you got there, that, that's a real problem. I know how to fix this. Let, let, me, let me wipe it out of your eye for you. You need my help. That, I mean, how ridiculous is that? <laughs> he, who's he to tell people how to avoid getting pieces of wood in their eye? He's obviously got a way worse problem with it. And how can he see clearly if they even have the pieces of wood in their eye if he's blinded by that two-by-four? The whole situation is absurd, and it perfectly parallels hypocritical judgment. 
With hypocritical judgment, the person with the larger problem tries to condemn the person with the lesser. Uh, take, for example, a habitual liar judging someone for making a single untruth. They're mentally blinded by their own sin, yet they think that they can see clearly the problems in someone else's life. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 7 is, hey, before you judge others, you need to take a look at your own life, to clean up your own act, to cast the plank out of your own eye to see if you're really in authority on the issue. Because one, it makes no more sense than a blind person telling you how to see. And two, if you parade yourself around as the authority figure on that issue, people are going to point the finger back at you. Uh, they're going to measure back to you the same judgment that you judge them with and expose the plank that you have in your own eye. Romans 2, verses 1 through 3, read, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? You condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. It's much easier to see the faults in other people's lives than it is to see the faults in our own. But we should first learn to judge ourselves. So there's one type of judgment that we shouldn't make. But the second type I have is self-righteous judgment. Oxford languages define self-righteousness as, quote, having or characterized by a certainty especially an unfounded one, that one is totally correct or morally superior. Self-righteous and hypocritical judgment go hand in hand, but I think self-righteous judgment deserves its own listing. I'd like to read a parable Jesus gave about a self-righteous Pharisee and a repentant sinner. That parable can be found in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, which read, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men, on a oh, sorry. <clears throat> Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee was judging the tax collector in a way that was trying to put himself up and someone else down. He was trying to build a spiritual resume that he thought made him righteous in himself. While the tax collector realized that he in himself isn't righteous. The Pharisee went home unjustified because he didn't recognize that he was a severely flawed human being. The tax collector went home justified because he recognized that he was a flawed human being and then repented of his sins. Self-righteous judgment is the judgment that's met with remarks like, you think you're so much better than me. This form of judgment is a major reason why people are so deathly afraid of being judged by other people. It's because some people self-righteously and with a false air of superior, superiority uh, judge others in ways that make them seem like lesser humans. 
Romans 3, verse 10 reads, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And that is something that we should be ever mindful of. Moving on, the next type of judgment we should make is hasty or assuming judgment. Hasty or assuming judgments are judgments that are made without proper evidence and heavy consideration. John 7 verse 24 reads, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Do not judge according to appearance. We're not supposed to judge things by the way they appear on the surface. We're not supposed to judge based on assumptions. We're not supposed to judge before we go deeper than just the surface. I don't really need to spell out why. Would you uh, want people to take every piece of gossip they heard about you as factual? Would you want to live in a country where you were held guilty until proven innocent? Well, then treat others the way you wish to be treated, by holding them innocent until proven guilty. Enough said. Now let's move on to the fourth type of bad judgment. The next one I have is humanistic judgment. Humanistic judgment is judging according to human standards rather than God's. We have recorded an account between Jesus and a few humanistic judges who are, you guessed it, Pharisees. That account can be found in Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9, which read, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me as a gift to God, then you need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The Pharisees judged Jesus' disciples because they weren't adhering to the tradition set in place by the cool elders. Likewise, I believe that we're not to judge people because they don't adhere to the same cultural oddities and traditions that we do. So, me and Logan over here really like a certain band, and I say one album is my favorite, and then he says another album, which I don't favor, is his favorite. We might joke around and be like, what are you talking about? But we're not going to think of each other as lesser human beings because of that meaningless difference. <clears throat> but more seriously, we shouldn't think of other humans as lesser people because they struggle with social skills or because sometimes in their culture they eat bugs or cats or dogs or whatever other meaningless difference because they're all just meaningless differences. Meaningless differences such as political viewpoint shouldn't cause such a division between us and other people, especially between our brethren. Jesus said in John 5 verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. His judgment was righteous, because he judged according to the will of his Father. 
it was only righteous because he judged according to God's standards. We should judge likewise instead of by our own meaningless standards. People ask, who are we to judge? But I say, ambassadors of Christ, that's who. Revelation 1 verse 5 reads, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We are ambassadors of the king of kings, of the ruler of the universe. We pronounce judgments not based on the ebbs and flows of life that go this way and that way and this way and that way, but by the unchanging law of the king of kings. Now, my last judgment we shouldn't make is unloving judgment. Unloving judgment is simply just any judgment that doesn't stem from love. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, read, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, <coughs> excuse me, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. If our judgment doesn't stem from love, from genuinely wanting to help someone, then what we say is little more than just noise. I'd also like to mention that we can't be extremely harsh when it comes to judging people and pretend that we still love them. We can't just be super harsh and unforgiving with someone and then just mask it all over by simply saying we want the best for them. Something can be nine-tenths hatred and still call itself love. When we judge people, we need, absolutely need, to let them know that we genuinely care about them. And we need to judge our fellow Christians gently. 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 25 read, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition so that they may know the truth. When we discern whether the actions of others are right or wrong, we do so mostly for our own benefit. But when we go up to other people and make our discernments of them known, we must do so only for the benefit of others. We must judge because we want others to be right with God, not because we want to be right. Before we judge others, we need to ask ourselves, one, are we free from similar sin? Two, are we cognizant of our own unrighteous nature? Three, do we properly understand the situation? Four, are we judging according to our own meaningless standards? And five, are we judging without love? People ask how any judgment can be loving. They ask why Christians have to judge people all the time. But all judgment must stem from love and the genuine desire to help someone. And it is our duty to, quote, correct those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, 
so that they may know the truth. To not judge others, but instead affirm their harmful behavior isn't love, it's cowardice. Believe me, I know how enticing it is to just avoid conflict and uncomfortable conversations, but sometimes conflict is necessary. Let me ask you this, what's more loving? To see a married friend flirt with someone other than their spouse, then turn a blind eye and hope for the best? Or to warn your friend of the imminent consequences? Sometimes in our search for a peaceful and comfortable living, we become complicit bystanders to the destruction around us. God told the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 33, verses 7 through 8, So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. I wonder if he'll hold us the same standard. Judgment is meant to be helpful, but it is only helpful if done correctly. And while the destructive judgments of many people might make us want to reject the prospect of judgment altogether, uh, we shouldn't be so deathly afraid of it. There's an aspect of the don't judge me ideology that I actually agree with. And it's the idea that we shouldn't let uh, other people's view of us determine our self-worth. Because there will always be people who hate us. Uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 reads, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If we're living faithfully, then people will judge us. John 15 verses 18 through 19 read, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And 1 Peter 4 verses 3 through 4 read, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, reveries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. We will be judged, hated even, because we're the odd ones out. I personally obsessively value the way people think of me. Too often, I become a social chameleon and change myself from person to person so that I can be viewed the best in everyone's eyes. But you know what's, in, uh, sorry, <clears throat> nobody likes to be judged. But you know what's interesting? The words of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4, verses 14 and 16, which read, If you are repro reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. When we're judged for our beliefs, even to the point of reproach and insults, we're not supposed to be ashamed. 
That suffering of mockery and scorn is considered a blessing. Why? Well, partly because it's a sign that we're right. It shows that we've been set apart from the world. The don't judge me ideology sometimes takes this idea way, way too far and says that we shouldn't care about what anyone says about us, period. And that uh, to be judged should only feed into our self-righteousness. But we're not supposed to take that idea to that extent. We should have the thick skin required to brush off senseless insults. But we still need to consider what people say about us to determine if uh, they're saying constructive criticisms rather than senseless insults. We still need to discern what is good judgment and bad judgment and think about them accordingly. As I said, judgment is meant to be helpful, but it is only helpful if done correctly. You know, a lot of the time, opinions really can be just like smelly feet. There will be people in our lives who hate us for no reason. And even if they have a reason, we may not even know it. While we need to reject those senseless insults and ridiculous hatred and bad judgments so that we don't become like the suicidal celebrities who uh, go on mental downward spirals by obsessing over their infinite critics, we still need to be open to uh, good judgments and constructive criticisms, especially from our brethren. To think that we are just fine on our own and to ignore any feedback we don't find pleasant is arrogant. We're only hurting ourselves if we remain in echo chambers of our own self-righteousness. Proverbs 12, verse 1, puts it pretty boldly. It says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. So there you have it. It's just plain stupid. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 5, also reads, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. In Proverbs 25, verse 12, reads, Like an earring of gold, and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. We need to distinguish between the judgments that are helpful and the judgments that are just stinky feet, and receive them accordingly. Rebuke can be better than a song, and it can be as brilliant as an earring of fine gold if we only give it the chance shine. I'd like to end off with a verse. Revelation 1 verse 5 reads, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I think our fear of judgment comes from a fear that we aren't lovable. But there is someone who loves us despite our weakness. Someone who loves us even when others discern that we're not worthy of their love. The only one who truly knows right from wrong. The perfect judge. The king of kings. We're called to judge and told not to judge. We're told to love others despite their weakness like God loves us in ours. But we're also called to discern actions and correct those in opposition so that they may come to repentance. Thank you.